All right, good morning. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. I promise you today we'll get more than 11 words into James. All right. Uh, I spoke on for 45 minutes on 11 words in the book of James last week. Oh, that was fun. So uh, James 1, 1, go ahead and turn there in your uh, whatever device or Bible that you're using to read the word of God. Um, go ahead and get that ready to go because we want to be there today. And we're going to talk about a subject that uh, probably affects every single person in this room or will affect every single person in this room. And that is the subject of what happens when you're disillusioned with God. When stuff happens and it smacks you in the face, and now what are you going to do? Right? I'm the only person in the room that has to deal with those kind of things, right? Now, everyone deals with that in some way. As I was, uh, we're preparing all of our messages here at the church. It's with this idea this year of how do we be better neighbors? If Jesus has called us to love God with everything that we have and love our neighbor as ourself, how do we do that well? Well, one of the ways in which we do that is we're prepared to be able to step into messy situations. And everybody that you know, everybody that lives on your street, Everybody that you're friends with on Facebook or uh, whatever, everybody that sits across the, the aisle from you, everyone is going through something. Everyone has been facing some sort of heart issue, whether that's a marriage, a child, a job, health. We all have it because it's life. If you breathe air, you've got issues. It's just the way it works. How do we respond to that? And how do we help the people around us respond to that? That's the question we're going to try to answer today. Because in James chapter 1, James brings it up. And if we uh, read this, it kind of sounds, it's kind of gruff in our minds. And, and uh, I've probably misinterpreted this, this passage for a long time. But as I was uh, <clears throat> studying for this message today, I came across a story online that I thought helped me get in the right headspace for it. It's a story of a guy who uh, became a new father, and he was so excited about having a baby. And this is a true story, by the way. So excited about having a baby. And then six hours later, his wife, the mother of his child, passed away. Had an embolism complication from the birth and died six hours later. Same day as the birth of the baby. Now, I have a 14-month-old at home. Those thoughts are not comfortable to deal with. What would happen if I had to do this on my own? I, I, Kendall and, and, uh, and Kelly and her family went off this weekend, and I had Bowen and Lucy by myself for just less than 48 hours. That's enough. I don't want to be a single parent. It's not my calling or my thing. Okay, so all you single parents out there, for a real, I don't know how you do it and how you have hair on your head. Uh, I know my hairline receded a good two inches just from this weekend, but uh, it is what it is. <clears throat> it's a good time. But so he loses his wife in this moment. And so he has this blog. This is a real guy. And he, he blo- the, the mom had, had a pregnancy blog thing going on. And he decided to get on there and just tell everybody who was following the pregnancy blog what had happened, how she passed, and how the baby was doing. And he continued on that because people were kind of responding to him. And so he continued the story and continued the story with them of his grieving process and how, you know, when she took her first steps and how, when she started eating her first things and all those, you know, those first year things. And the first year anniversary came out and he remember and he wrote down in the, the blog, but he was talking about, I have a choice to make. I have a choice to make today that either 
I celebrate my daughter's birth and the joy that she is in my life and all the hope that she brings me and all the excitement in that. Or I crawl up into a bottle and drink the day away because her birthday also is the anniversary of his wife's death. That's a choice to make. And the choice that he has to make is I'm going to choose life today or I'm going to choose death today. That's the choice he has to make. That's not a choice I'd want to be making. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, I would struggle with making that choice. But it's her first birthday, so how do I do it? How do I choose life? And then from that day, he said, you know what? I'm choosing life. We're going to make this a celebration because that honors my wife in this moment too. The more I honor my daughter, the more I honor my my past wife, which I think is the good, good, good job, buddy. Um, but it's that hard choice. I'm not saying it's an easy one, but it's one that we have to make. And I think we have to make, and he had to make every day past. Is today going to be a celebration of my daughter's life and the future that my wife provided, or is it going to be a celebration of death and what I've lost? That's not dishonoring. It's just how, how is my frame of mind going to be? And that story, that, that, that happening, I think is, is kind of speaking into who we are and how we deal with that. Are we going to choose life in the situations or are we going to choose death in the situation? And so James is kind of speaking directly into that moment and um, want to kind of elaborate on that. And how do we do that? How do we choose life? How do we step into and not become overwhelmed with the circumstances that we are faced with? Because it becomes really, really easy, right? Once you start, here's a problem with, if you, you get, go, start going down that road of choosing death, is this real hard to turn around? It's like a one-way street downhill and with ice on it. Like turning around once you start choosing death is really, really hard. You need crimpers on your feet and like ice picks to get up the hill. But we choose life, we start making this process easier and easier and easier and easier. Okay, James 1. Verse 1 through 8. James, a servant of God uh, and Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. We're kicking off. We're in the second week of James. Sorry, I'm going to stop already. Um, second week, week of a study of James. We're going really, 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 really deep dive into James. We're going to talk about all kinds of Greek words today. We're going to learn all kinds of history context today. Um, this is not even our normal way of doing messages, uh, but this is a, a deep, deep dive in that. So if you have something to take notes with, you probably, um, well, hopefully you'll have something to write down today. Um, anyway, uh, underline the word servant if you have an NIV uh, Bible, and you might want to write to the side of that. Yes, it's okay to write in your Bibles. It's your, God is not holding that against you. He probably brings a smile to his face, okay? Uh, underline servant and rewrite slave or bond servant there. Uh, servant is kind of a PG-13 version, uh, translation version of what the Greek word is there. The Greek word is doulos, and uh, when the Greek word doulos means bond servant, which means I have sold myself to a master, that he has bought me, so now I am his property. Okay, so James is saying, me who has sold all my baggage, my past, my stuff, who I was, I have sold it to Jesus he is now my master, okay? So that's important. Um, we read servant because we're Americans. We see, if you see slave in there, you're like, ah, I got baggage. And fair enough, we should have baggage. But we also PG-13 did so much that we kind of miss the, the, the whole theological nuance of what doulos actually means. All right, 
That was last week. If you want to know more about that and you weren't here, uh, please uh, read that. I'm not going to give the same message again, Paul, okay? All right. Uh. <laughs> the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Underline scattered. We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Consider it pure joy. Underline joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, if that doesn't make you go, what? I don't want to do that. Um, this is one of those verses that you read and you're like, how could this be possible? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person that should not expect to receive, this person uh, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Man, I, I don't know about you, but so now you're going, well, if I'm not joyful, if I'm not happy, if I don't have a huge smile on my face, now I'm dumble, double-minded and unstable in all I do. And well, this is very uplifting, Jared. I'm glad I'm here. Right? Well, we're going to take a moment to look at all of that. What I want you to kind of center in on right now is to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. See, James has already brought up the idea of he's a doulos, the bondservant, but he also throws another word in there after joy called Adelphoi. Adelphoi. It's a fun word to say, Adelphoi. Um, this is, you're going <clears> to... <throat> In there, it means brothers and sisters. Um, it means brothers and sisters. I'm calling you brothers and sisters. Now, who is writing this? It's James, the brother of Jesus. He's the head dude of the Christian movement in AD 50. And instead of calling down to them and saying, listen, you've got to do this, he's saying, he's calling them equals, my brothers and my sisters. I know you're going through a tough time. I know you're going through, you've been scattered, you've been dispersed. I know you're going through a lot of pain. But right now, I, I want to reach to you on a one-on-one level, my brother, my sister. And this is important in how we, we read that, that he is not uh, holding his kind of situation above everybody else. He's calling them equals and brothers and sisters. That's really, really, really important. He also is saying to the 12 tribes scattered all over the place, um, listen, we're all family and I realize our situation is messed up and we are scattered all over the place. He is speaking to people who feel very unequal. Last week we discussed how 40% of Working age men and women were slaves, probably in slave, full slavery or this indentured servanthood of bond servantness. Forty percent of working age people—that's an incredible number. That's the like in America percentage-wise, that's the same percentage as people who have college degrees. So think about it. everybody you know has college degree. Now they're slaves. <sighs> Think about that. Everyone you know would be touched by it. If you, if you weren't a slave, somebody in your family was a slave. A cousin was a slave. Maybe a parent was a slave. Everyone was a slave or a released a former slave at some point in their life. Almost everybody. Almost 50% of the whole population. Isn't that incredible? So when he speaks to bond servanthood and he calls them brothers and sisters, he says, listen, you are above that. 
I, I call you equal. Even though you are on the lowest rungs of society, I call you equal. I want you to hear that because this is a people in need of hearing hope. Uh, just to recap, uh, the major themes of James are figuring out uh, how, how our duty as a bondservant, how our duty as a slave to Christ works. And then also, how do we have faith that Jesus will give us freedom and victory in the assurance of heaven? These are the two major things. How do we figure out the duty? And then how does this work when we have the assurance of heaven? Because when you are a slave and have a slave mindset, you need something to look forward to, right? And so we, sometimes our uh, well-offness as Americans hampers us from understanding what's going on in the scripture. And so, so much of this is, guys, I know right now is tough. You're scattered, you're broken, you're beaten, but you have a promise and a better future. And sometimes we let our, our well-offness here in the West um, change the way in which we view that. However, we could argue that I've got broken things in my life. I've got broken health issues. I've got broken financial issues. I've got broken all kind of relationship issues that I want to know that I have a hope and a future that's coming. And so James is like, don't lose sight of that. That's, we have this, this bond servant mentality. We have let Jesus buy all of our stuff. He has purchased us, but he is also this, this, in this, uh, in this thought is that he is also our protector, our Patronus. And this idea of, of being the, the, the doulos patronus relationship. Doulos was I sold myself in slavery to you. The patronus is that master lets me free and becomes my protector, my benefactor. And he becomes my big cheerleader, right? And so that's what's going on here in this culture. Now, that, that's, that's amazing to think about. That when anybody, all these people know the slave culture, everyone would have known how it worked, how the, the doulos culture worked and how the patronus culture wor- uh, worked. And so he's saying, you know, when Jesus sets you free, you are free totally. He is the greatest protector. He is the greatest Patronus. He's the greatest master you could ever, ever, ever dream of. And he's setting that standard for everyone there. Now, since we don't live in that culture, we lose some of that nuance. But James would have, everyone listening to James would have known exactly what he was talking about. There's another big word going on here that we need to talk about. It's scattered. Hope you underlined it when I told you to. Uh, Scattered. This is the word dyspora. Now, diaspora is a huge happening that happens in the, to the, the Jews um, in about 500 A.D. when uh, Babylon comes over and destroys uh, the, the kingdom of Israel, all the Jews. It's basically almost like a Holocaust-type event. It is a shattering of who the Jewish nation is. They are dispersed, hence diaspora, right? Um, bet you can guess where the word comes from, right? Uh, so they are, they are scattered all over the Mediterranean. And this is why you get Jewish people uh, in Africa. Uh, all of a sudden, randomly, they found like this whole Jewish community in Ethiopia. You're like, what in the world? Where did this come from? Um, Alexandria at this time, a time of what, about the Bible's written, is the second biggest Jewish city behind Jerusalem in the world. More people live uh, kind of like uh, Detroit's the, like the second biggest Muslim city in the world, um, just because like people are dispersed, and this is this is what happens. So you've got all this dispersion going all over the place. Because they had been defeated, because they had been scattered. And what that did to them was this cultural scarring of we are, we broken uh, our end of the bargain with God. We were so bad. We were so disappointing that we have broken 
this relationship. The covenants are, are barely being held together. We, have, we were so stupid. Our kings were so bad that we just destroyed this relationship. And so they're operating under that cultural guilt. And they're going, how do we figure out how to do this? And you can see this. You can see the books of the Bible that are written before the diaspora and after the diaspora uh, in the Old Testament. If you take the time to figure out which ones they are, you can tell a difference in the tone of voice. There's a positivity pre, and there's this depression afterwards. It's kind of like, I mean, it's this huge, huge, huge moment. And so this has dramatic effects on how Judaism as a whole operates. And then because of that, how Christianity operates. Because in this diaspora uh, places, they start these things called synagogues. And this culture of the synagogue is a, is a reaction to we're losing our Jewish identity. We've left Israel because we've been run out because of all these wars and we keep on losing wars. And so we have to run out to these different towns. And so we're going to start something called a synagogue, which is basically a, a teaching center of, of our little Jewish boys and girls. So we keep some of our culture, even though we're in the throes of Greece. Now, if you look at the timing of this, this is when Alexander the Great is coming to power. This is the height of Hellenism, which is the, the Greekiness of the Mediterranean. Uh, Hellenism, that's what that means, if you ever see that in a book or whatever. But it's so you're getting all this uh, the philosophical stuff from Plato and Socrates and uh, Aristotle and all this, this changing of the whole world. And the Jews are going, no, 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 not my kid. My kid's not going to buy into that crazy new age philosophy. Right? My kid's not going to do that. We're, we've got to learn who we are. We've got to figure all this stuff. Um, anybody here go to Catholic school? Right? Uh, sound familiar? Anybody here go to a Christian school? Uh, a Protestant uh, Christian school? It's the same mentality. You send your kids to a, a Protestant uh, Christian school? It's the same mentality. The world's going crazy. I'm going to send them to a school where I understand the cultural values and, and get that. It's not really. It's a natural reaction from a parent. Right? I, I, I get it, and I'm not even uh, saying... Uh, I'm not judging in any way, shape, or form, but it's the same thing. Why did you go to Catholic school? Because your mama wanted you to get a religious education for these certain things and get it ground into your head and with a little help from the nun, right? And that's what, <laughs> so that's what, what we did, what you did. And so the same thing's happening here uh, 20, you know, 2,500 years ago is the Jews go, hey, you know what? If we teach our kids right, we teach them in these synagogues, we'll have this base. Those synagogues become areas in which uh, people are attracted to Judaism and people are attracted to this, this Yahweh God. Now, they can't, they're not really becoming all kinds of, uh, uh, of Jews. They're just kind of God-fears. And if you see that in Acts, you go, oh, that's what these people are kind of like. It's kind of interesting. What's going on? They got one God. We got like 57,000 over here. I like this one God thing. He seems a lot nicer than the Zeus dude who's throwing lightning bolts at people. So I'm like, well, what is this? What, what is this? And so you get this interest going on. And so James is writing to those people who've gone through all this craziness, all this heartache, all this losing their cultural identity and trying to hold on to it and saying, listen, 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 listen. Consider it pure joy when you go through trials and tribulations. Consider it pure joy joy when you go through the blender. And this is hard because he's like, if I'm reading this, I'm in a synagogue in Corinth and people are trying to kill me and no one wants to do business with me because I'm a Jew and I don't go to the Roman temple and consider pure joy. Yeah, I got your joy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he's speaking right to that. But see, those, even through that pain of the dispersion, beauty happens. 
Because those synagogues become the incubators for where Christianity blossoms. Because where does Paul go on his missionary journeys? He shows up at the synagogue and he starts teaching these guys. He starts teaching these guys and these God-fearers, the Jews don't usually buy into whatever Jesus is saying, but those guys that hadn't fully bought into Judaism are like, that's it and I don't even have to get a circumcision. Oh yeah, I'm on that one. I want to get, I'm, I'm all about this one. Okay, well, well, tell me more about this Jesus thing. And the Christianity explodes out of the pain, out of the heartache, out of the hurt of the dispersion, out of the dyspora, out of this cataclysmic event. Like we're talking Holocaust type stuff going on here. Horrible, horrible, soul-wrenching, totally changing their cultural values type moment. God says, I will reclaim that. And this is where the, 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 my church will blow up, will blossom. That's where it comes from. This is really important for us to understand that. I didn't get to learn that until I went to college. So you just got like a whole Bible class for free in 20 minutes or less. Uh, So there you go. The next step in that is let's go back to the verse. It says, consider it pure joy. This word joy. This word joy. I got a problem with. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. How do we figure out who we are, how do we deal with these issues? I think the first step in that is this. Find stability in knowing where we have been. Find stability in knowing where we have been. Because what did James do? He reminded them that they were the 12 tribes of Israel. He reminded them that God was with them, with, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. He was with them in Exodus. He repeals back to the slavery thing. Um, I remember who you are. That this is the same God that brought you through the Red Sea. This is the same God that fought your battles for you. This is the same God. Remember who you are. And for us, when we go through trials and we go through stuff, find stability in knowing where we have been. How has God been faithful in the past? This is why it's so incredibly important to keep a journal. Uh, keep a journal of what's going on. Now, if you read my journal, you'd be like, man, Jared whines a lot. It would read a lot like Psalms. God, you're awesome. You stink. God, you're awesome. You stink. You know, whatever. That's how my journal reads. And if you think I'm less spiritual because of that, okay. I'm um, just keeping it real. That's, that's how it goes. But if you go back through that, then I can see, oh, wow. Read a journal from 10 years ago. I have one journal that I wrote like for first five pages and I put it away for a long, long time. I lost it is what really happened. Um, and so I found it again, started writing in it again, but I read those journal entries from 15 years ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was such an idiot. <laughs> you just remember where God has brought me from. Oh my goodness. So important. That's, that's what he is calling these people back. Find stability and remembering and knowing where you have been. All right, let's get to this joy word because this is where we need to spend a lot of time. And understand, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. And I don't know about you, but this makes, um, when I've, I've literally thrown my Bible across the room reading the scripture when I was going through a tough time. That red one right here probably has some super glue in the binding because of this verse. Because I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, consider it pure joy. Yeah, my life is falling apart, you big jerk. Why are you telling me to do this? How am I supposed to do that? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. So as I'm doing my study this week, I I come across something on joy that I hope will help you in this moment. Joy is not a mindset of happiness. It's not like, woo, yay, yay, I lost my job. My wife left me. Oh, yay. That's not the deal, right? Joy, joy, we actually have a problem with joy. 
this joy too, but we have a problem with joy. We have a problem with joy because um, the Hebrew idea that James is trying to talk about, the, the word in Hebrew, does not translate very well to Greek. There's not a Greek philosophical word that, that really kind of grabs it. So James is even having this translation problem when he's writing it, okay? But there's even a bigger problem going from the Greek word uh, kara, which anybody named kara? Your name means joy, by the way. Uh, if you didn't know that, now you do. Um, so you go from the Greek word joy into us going joy. So the Hebrew word into kara is weird uh, translation, and then kara into joy is a weird translation. It just doesn't fit. It's like a, a puzzle piece that just doesn't work all the way, but you're like, it's as good as we got. So does this make sense? Okay, so we translate joy as kind of like, woo, uh, I'm excited, happy, yay, the Cubs won the pennant, whatever. Uh, we're excited about those things. Joy, in the biblical sense, is, is this idea of the conquering king coming home. And so the, where they pull this from is, is from when David came home from a military uh, campaign and was victorious. When he comes home and everyone's just like, yeah, we won. We beat the bad guys. Those Philistines lost. Yeah, my husband came home from war. My son came home from war. My cousin came home for what, whoever it is. They came home. They're here. They're victorious. We win. Ah. That's joy. Okay. That. Whew. Now, cat, slow down with me for a second. There was losses. There was casualty. There was pain. There was stuff. People died. People came home with arms missing and, and dismemberment and all these kinds of bad things. That happened. But the joy that the war is over, that our king was victorious, that's the feeling. I searched for a long time, and I, I realized this was a bad choice for me. On Thursday, uh, for about an hour, I was sobbing in the, I think uh, Yvonne was going to call the ambulance or something on me, because I started down the rabbit trail. I was looking for one particular video of a soldier coming home from war, and well, that went into another YouTube video, into another YouTube video, and then to me crying a lot, okay? That's what happened. And so, gosh, those things are beautiful, but that is joy. When the daddy comes home and he sneaks in and he's, he sneaks behind his daughter and, he, and his daughter turns around and it's like, ah! You know, in that, that moment, that's remembering the joy. There's pain. Daddy was gone for the last 10 months. There was sorrow. There was hurt. There was birthdays missed. There was junk that happened. But the joy of we won, we were victorious, daddy's home. Do you see the difference? That's not happiness. That's not just, oh, be giddy. You're okay. Everything's going to be fine and put a Band-Aid on it and kind of sugarcoat stuff. That's a, a deeper-seated, I know things stunk and things hurt, and I don't want to go to war again, but, man, we were victorious. Do you hear that? Because this isn't, if you don't, give me a head rattle because I want you to understand this because if you don't get that part, we consider pure joy when you go through trials and, and stuff and temptations. It, it rings hollow, and you're like, man, this Bible thing, God's so out of touch with me. No, 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 no. Consider it joy because you need to know that we are victorious. No matter what you're going through, no matter what temptation, no matter what trials, Jesus is still victorious. That he still paid for your sins on the cross on Friday, and he still beat death and rose from the dead on Sunday. We are victorious. So when you deal with stuff, when weird things happen, when you lose your job, when you're in slavery, when whatever is going on there, consider pure joy because we still, keep your eye on the prize, we still 
are victorious. Is this helpful? Does this make sense? Rattle? No? Because we'll keep on talking about it. We got... I got baseball pictures at 2.30, so I'm good until 2.15. All right. right. You guys are like, oh, but I got to go to the bathroom. Um, Sorry. I need this. When I figured that, when I was studying the scripture this, this week, and this popped out to me, I needed this. My soul needed to know that there was a difference in this, that it wasn't just happiness. I needed, I needed to know that. This helped me so much in James, and I hope it helps you because when I, I've gone through guilt trips, you know, my mom's health is not great, right? And so when I deal with my mom's health and something happens and I get cranky and I want to like yell at God about that whole thing, and I'm, then I'm going to the next part of it, am I double-minded? Am I being thrown back and forth like I don't trust God? Like all this weird guilt stuff starts happening and Satan just starts beating on my heart and beating on my head like you're not a good Christian, what are you doing being a pastor, blah, 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 blah. And I go down a bad road real quick. But what is being said to me right now with joy being remember that you are victorious is am I going to choose life and to celebrate life or am I choosing death? You see the difference? I know it's hard, and I know it's tough. But I'm going to choose life in this moment. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to remember that the king of all creation is victorious, that he has not been defeated. There is nothing that will defeat him, that I serve that king, that I am his doulos. I am his bondservant. He, that king, has paid a price for me and will set me free. You hear that? That's where my brain has to go. So my second point is this. Find joy in knowing who wins. Find joy in knowing who wins. Take solace in that. Remember that. When life is going crazy and things are out of control and curveballs are being thrown at you, know who wins. Yesterday, we had a nail-biter of a game for our 7-year-old, 8-year-old baseball team. It's the bottom of the fifth. It's the last inning. Bases, there's two people on. They stole. Now we have people on at third and second. I have a kid who's never pitched before in his life on the mound. We're still undefeated. We have one one win. One win. Uh, you know, all this pressure. I think I was more anxi- had more anxious about the whole thing than anybody else. And we've got all this going on for us. If I would have known that Two batters later, everyone would have struck out and we would have won. I would have been a lot chiller about the whole moment. And I was trying really hard. My dad was not succeeding very well, but I was trying really, really hard. Yeah, and just breathe, Jared, breathe, Jared. It's a game no one will ever care about, but breathe. If I would have known who, what was going to win and it, what was going to happen in the next five minutes, all the anxiety goes out of the whole thing, right? I tell you that goofiness because the same thing happens for us. When we're going through job changes, we're going through health stuff, when we're going through relationship crises. We know who wins. We know the end of the story. That doesn't make what you're going through right now go away. That doesn't make that any less real. But in that moment, we get to choose to celebrate life or we fall into this death cycle. Those are our choices. But if we remember, we can find joy in knowing who wins. 
Teaching this is hard. It is it is really hard because I know there's issues that we struggle with, we deal with, that we've got to face, and it feels like they're overwhelming. They feel like they're on the verge of drowning us. But Joy says, "No, what? I'm going to cling on to this life preserver instead of think about how wet the water is. Find joy in knowing who wins. And the, and lastly, find hope in knowing where we are going." Find hope in knowing where we are going. This is huge for James and the people he's writing to. That if you lived every day of your life as a slave and knowing that all your brothers and sisters and because you're a slave, maybe even your kids are going to be slaves, like that's not a very hopeful existence, right? And so the hope comes from that is saying, I know where I am going, that there is a hope and a future for me. Even though we are scattered, even though that we are uh, have been dispersed all over the world, God has still got us. There is still a hope and for where we will arrive someday. And that promise that James is reminding them of is the same promise that we need to be reminded of today. We have a hope and a future in heaven because our king is not been, has not been defeated but is victorious. And in that joy that we get to know that our God is victorious, we also know that we have a hope and a future. For some of us, that seems so far off and it seems like that's not helping right here in this moment. I tell you, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through with, whatever you've been struggling with, when you choose to celebrate life in this moment, and that's a hard, once you start choosing to, to look into death, I know it's hard. It's hard. Like I said, it's like a slippery slope on a one-way street with ice all over it and trying to get back over it. But once we start making those decisions today, I'm going to celebrate life. Today, I'm going to celebrate that I have the victory. Today, I'm going to celebrate that Jesus is the victorious king. Today, I'm going to celebrate that Jesus has bought all my stuff, that I don't have to have it anymore. All my debt, all my junk, all the the stuff in my past has been bought and paid for. And now I serve the great master who will set me free and I will be free indeed. That is the promise. That is the hope that is for you today. Let's pray this morning as the band comes up. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this promise. Thank you for these hard words, these words of trying to figure out how do I have joy in the hard circumstances. God, right now, there's people in this room right now that are really struggling through stuff in life, through different circumstances. Maybe their marriage is on the rocks or uh, just relationships with kids or uh, families or their health is going bad or whatever that looks like. God, we we ask you to to touch us in this moment, that we pray for this wisdom that, that James talked about, wisdom to be able to see and to be able to parse what you're doing in our life and how you've been faithful in our life and that we can look back and see, yes, you've walked through that and you've walked through that with me and you've never left me. That we have a hope and a future in you, that you have heaven planned for us, that you have freedom planned for us. God, that in this moment, we would be able to change our mindset from all the circumstances drowning us to we are victorious. God, we ask you to bless us. We ask you to guide us. We ask you to give us wisdom and give us courage. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.